and I'm encouraging you to assume that this is like a retreat at CSA, and that is where we begin with our meditation and our class, and then you take your time during the days to be a little more introspective, to be a little quieter, to put down the some of the devices and turn off the, the computer and the television and just kind of be with yourself. Uh, read a little. Uh, read, of course, Mr. Davis's books are recommended here, but whatever you find inspirational, read a little bit and then think about it, contemplate it. And of course, it is always useful to go outside and just sit in nature. You know, find a quiet, comfortable place where you can feel the breeze, listen to the birds. Nature is very restorative, very healing, and it kind of opens the space for us to have an experience that is outside of our normal, fragmented, blurred uh, consciousness, where the mind is just jumping from one thing to another. I remember once I heard the Sufis had a saying that the mind is like a drunken monkey. And so it just jumps and bounces and whatever the, the new distraction is, whatever is the brightest, the shiniest, uh, the, the loudest, the mind jumps to that and jumps to that. And, and so we can just rest in, a, in a, a time and a place where we can just be quiet, just be with ourselves. And uh, in the process, some people find that it's uncomfortable. They find that when they just sit and they don't have anything to do. They don't have any special purpose. There is no reason. There is no objective. There's no goal just to sit, just to be. That this is a little uncomfortable. This is a little, uh, you know, I'm not sure what to do with myself. And so it can be good practice to both to sit, be quiet, and to notice whatever's happening inside, whatever our response to this is, and start to come to terms with um, with our self, our true self, with the capital S, as Mr. Davis would say. So, so this can be useful. And we may notice in the in the process, we may notice that uh, there are many things that we do to avoid just sitting with ourself. So, you know, watching television, shopping, running around, interacting, talking. Uh, so many things that are distractions that uh, allow us to avoid this experience of our deeper true essence, our true nature. And of course, there's, it's, I always have to kind of chuckle because um, this essence of being, this thing that we're uh, looking to re-experience or to open our awareness to, is always us. It's the same awareness, the same observer the same witness that we have always been ever since we were the smallest child since the earliest time we can remember we have always been us so uh so we've always been the one that looks out of these eyes i've said before when i was seven years old i remember my father had built this little stool this little box so that the kids could stand up on it to, to uh be able to brush their teeth and to be able to lean across the sink to be able to see themselves in the in the vanity mirror in the bathroom. So I remember standing up on that little box one time, leaning across the sink, getting very close to the mirror and looking into my eyes and asking, who's in there? Who is that? And today, when I look in the mirror, the same 
in the same consciousness is asking the same question. It has never changed. We've always been us. We've, we've always been the witness, the observer of all the circumstances and events, everything that's ever happened in our life in this constant changing, unfolding process. And all through this, we have always been us, you see. And so what we're looking for in this spiritual uh, process is simply to, to reconnect with that us and to realize that that is what we really are and that all the other things, all the external things, the circumstances, the events, the memories, the anticipation, the expectation, everything else is part of this play, part of this drama, part of this, uh, the, this identification with a sense or a feeling of being separate. And so, uh, so we can uh, learn to be conscious and aware and to play the role to engage, to be our character fully and completely. Um, and at the same time, always be aware, be conscious that we are the spiritual being that has come into this life for the opportunity to experience, to express, to be joyful, to relate, to serve and to fully awaken, to come back into this awareness of what we really are. Each of us is a ray or a viewpoint, an expression of God, of this ultimate reality. And as this, and through this awakening process, ultimate reality becomes once again aware of itself. Um, I think it was, possibly it was Alan Watts who once said, it's like the universe is playing is playing hide and seek with itself. And so we are, we are constantly rediscovering, having the opportunity, the option to, to rediscover, to come into the awareness of our true nature as pure consciousness, as existence being. So this is our, one of our objectives. And of course, we are reminded that one of the more effective ways of having this experience of of adjusting our point of view our consciousness to come into this awareness is through our meditation practice so not the only way but one way that is uh, that's very effective and, and provides kind of a grounding kind of a foundation for everything else and so our meditation practice once again is very simple it's not complicated. It doesn't require um, a lot of uh, complex steps and interactions and techniques. All we need to do very simply is to learn to focus the attention, to focus the attention on one point, one thing, one object. And so this morning we talked about using the breath. We can just simply observe the breath. We don't change it we don't have an opinion about it we just simply watch it it comes it goes the body is doing its breathing and we are witnessing watching observing this process happening and if we become so involved with the breath we become so obsessed with just noticing the breath pretty soon everything else falls away all the thoughts the memories the expectations everything subsides becomes quieter and quieter until if we're effective with this until we just rest and there is only breath there is 
the subject, the observer, the witness, the object, the breath. And the subject and object in this process becomes so connected, it becomes such a, an obsession in our awareness that, that we start to lose the sense of I am the witness watching this, but there is just breathing. I become, I merge with it. I become one with the object that I'm paying attention to. And in this merging, this is yoga. Yoga is the bringing together of attention and awareness with an object. And so our object, if it's the breath, we bring our attention, our awareness together with that. We move into this experience of being breath and in that process, in that time, when we merge with it, when everything else subsides, then we have set the ground, we have prepared the, the territory, if you will, for this shift in perspective. And this is something we can't make happen. We just simply create the, the, the environment, we create the conditions that allows it to happen. And when this happens, there is a shift in perspective so that there is no longer the sense of I am watching, I am observing. The sense of I, this ego, the sense of separation dissolves. And we are left in awareness. Just There is nothing to be aware of. There is just existence being. And of course, these are all words, ideas, concepts. And as such, uh, they really don't do justice to what we're talking about as an experience. We can't talk, we can't describe it because it is indescribable. It is beyond concept, beyond idea, beyond words. It is just an experience of being. And of course, if we really think about it, um, we can't ad uh, adequately or effectively describe any experience. You know, I've, I've told the story about the first time I went to Italy and I was looking forward to gelato, which I had never tried. And um, and on a, an afternoon when we had a little time off and we visited the Duomo and afterwards, uh, several that were in our party, Swami Nirvanadanda and Ellen O'Brien and a couple other folks, um, had the opportunity it was a warm afternoon and so we we found a gelato place and i sat down with my my gelato i or, i was able to order first and i got this dark chocolate gelato and i sat down while others were ordering and i was kind of by myself and i took the little spoon of gelato and put it in my mouth and closed my eyes and it was amazing it was transcendent <laughs> it was uh experience that there's no way i can describe i could say you know it's chocolate and sweet and creamy and i can say say lots of things about it but there is no way that i can communicate that i can send you that experience all i can say is you go to the duomo start heading to the fort on your left you'll find a little gelato place order the dark chocolate and have the experience you see and in the same way, if we practice our meditation effectively, if we just do these simple processes, these simple procedures, we will be led eventually our, our innate awareness, our innate inclination to be awake will lead us back to this experience of self, of our soul nature, of, of pure conscious being. And then having had that experience, resting in that experience, 
then we have a sense, we know what that's like. And the memory of that will come back with us when we engage once again with the mind and the body and, and all of our uh, adventures of a lifetime. Uh, but we still have the memory of this clear experience of being, pure conscious existence being. And so, and so this allows us to come back to, to tune into this again and again whenever we like. So when we're not meditating, then during our day from time to time, we can just stop for a moment and allow our awareness to expand, to come back to that awareness of our true nature, of our essence. And if we practice this, again, on a repetitive basis from time to time during the day, this, this lives with us. This becomes part of our operating system. And eventually we come to the place where we can be aware, self-aware, self-realized all the time, even when we're engaged and acting and doing, our, doing our, uh, the activities of our life. So this is, this is the kind of the, the um, progression of our spiritual path. So we begin with meditation uh, and we will be talking throughout the week. We'll talk more about other meditation techniques that we can use. Uh, in some disciplines, we find that uh, there is a, an emphasis on technique. And so we are encouraged to do this technique and then do this technique and then do this technique. And then finally we get into the silence and get into our meditation. And in the beginning, sometimes this can be useful just to help get the mind focused and to train us. But eventually we just need to let techniques go. We need to uh, come into this awareness of self, use a simple technique in order to allow the mental field, the mind and consciousness to come clear, to thoughts to subside, and then just rest in the silence, rest in stillness. So, so this is the, the ideal, and this is what Mr. Davis would recommend for us, is to just be quiet, just be still. And you will naturally, automatically come back into this awareness of being, awareness of self. Um, so this is available. And if there's anyone who's not, who needs the reminder, um, we, it's, it, we're encouraged to meditate on a regular basis. That's every day, uh, once in the morning or twice a day in the morning and evening, uh, whatever time we find that is convenient and comfortable for us um, is, is the best. Uh, but to do it on a regular basis every day to show up for our meditation, uh, this is very helpful. It, it provides a, a grounding. And if we start our day with meditation, Mr. Davis would recommend that we get up early and start with meditation before the, you know, we're distracted and disturbed and there are so many things to do. Uh, and this way we sort of set the tone for the day and we start the day grounded in the awareness of our true nature. So this can be very useful. Um, and he recommended uh, that if we have trouble getting up early, uh, that we can solve that problem by going to bed early. So if we go to bed a little bit earlier, it's easy to get up a little bit earlier. And in Ayurveda, the science of health and well-being, uh, they recommend that we are up before six o'clock. This is the Vata time um, uh, before Kapha takes over. So 
during the Vata time before six o'clock. We're up just before the sun comes up. And this is a wonderful time to begin our meditation. Um, Vata is related to the, to the mind and thoughts. And before Vata can take over and start to bounce around and, uh, and be agitated and, and cause our thoughts to be uh, distracted and blurred, we start off with this grounding meditation. We bring everything in order. We set our intention for the day. And so this can be very useful. And it's also recommended in Ayurveda that we get to bed before 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock is uh, the beginning of the Pitta time, and that is when the fires and the um, goal-oriented, intentional activities start to get more energy. And so this is a time when we, it, it, it's commonly referred to as getting a second wind. We stay up past 10 o'clock, all of a sudden we're kind of involved in a project or involved in the next Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode or something. Um, and it becomes harder to go to sleep after that. And we may find because Pitta is activated, this is also related to Agni, the digestive fires. We may also find after 10 o'clock that we're sort of looking for a snack. You know, it's time for a bowl of ice cream while we watch that next episode or uh, answer emails or check our Facebook page or whatever it is that we're doing that is uh, not really essential or useful. And so, and so Roy would recommend, he said, go to bed, you know, get, get to bed on, at an earlier time uh, before 10, if at all possible, be asleep. And then you then it becomes easy to wake up and to have your full eight hours of sleep and to be also living more in harmony with these natural cycles, which can also be supportive of our awakening and of our of our health and well-being. So that can be useful. Um, it's recommended that we have a place to meditate that is a kind of our meditation place, a special chair, a corner of a room, a closet, a whole room. Um, you know, as you can see, I have a, a very nice meditation space here that looks out on the world. Um, and you're all invited to my world, part of my universe. And I'm really happy and yeah, uh, that you're here with me. And this is great. So find a place that you can meditate that is kind of special and that will help psychologically uh, allow you to be reminded of your spiritual nature and what you're there for. So that can be helpful. Um, and it's useful to meditate for at least 20 minutes to a half an hour. Uh, my experience, especially in, you know, for, for years in the early days was that it usually takes about 20 minutes for the mind to finally calm down and relax, for the restless activity to stop bubbling back up, for it to become easier and easier to disregard um, you know, these little mental processes. So 20 minutes to a half an hour is a good uh, minimum target for meditation. But if that's not possible, and for some people, they have physical challenges. They just can't sit for any length of time uh, and for other considerations. If you can't meditate for 20 minutes to a half an hour, meditate for 15 minutes. Meditate for 10 minutes. Meditate for 10 minutes a couple times a day. Just do this in order to get grounded and centered and anchored. But do it every day. Be regular, attentive to your practice. So. 
So that can be useful. And when we uh, talk about our Kriya Yoga system, uh, one of the textbooks, one of the guides that we have in our Kriya Yoga process is Patanjali Yoga Sutras. Uh, and Mr. Davis's commentary on this, The Science of Self-Realization. And, and the Yoga Sutra begins with um, uh, Atta Yoga Anuasana, which is now this teaching begins. Now this is a, an important moment. This is auspicious. This is a time. And then it goes on in the second sutra and says, Yoga Chitta Vritti Nirodha. Yoga Chitta Vritti Nirodha. Yoga is the bringing together of attention and awareness with this object of awareness, with being. And of course, when that is optimal, we are experiencing samadhi or oneness consciousness. So yoga, samadhi, oneness consciousness, these are all uh, synonymous. And, and, uh, and the sutra says that when we are able to um, restrain, resist, avoid the, the tendency for the chitta, the field of awareness, to be fluctuating, to have vrittis, to be active. So in the field of awareness, the chitta, the activity of that, vrittis, vritti literally means turning or whirlpool. It's the fluctuations, the, what's happening in our field of awareness. And when that calms down, when that becomes quiet, when we're able to turn the volume down, the amplitude down through nirodha, that is to, to just resist to uh, put our attention on something else, uh, to restrain, not in a, in a uh, forceful way, but by simply allowing this whole system to come quiet by paying attention to one thing. And when this all comes together, this results in yoga, that is oneness consciousness. And he goes on in the third sutra to say that when this happens, when, when, uh, the field of awareness becomes quiet and subtle, then the seer, the observer, the witness, abides in the self, in its own nature. So then we rest in being. We rest in conscious awareness. There is no longer a separation. There is no longer a subject and an object. There is only satchitananda, existence, being, consciousness. So this is... This is the objective, and this is what happens. And then in the fourth sutra, he goes on to say, and as soon as the vrittis, as soon as the fluctuations, as soon as something occurs and starts to happen in the field of awareness, then the witness, the seer, becomes identified with that. So when thoughts, emotions, feelings, memories, uh, knowledge, information, when these things bubble up into the field of awareness, then the seer, then we tend to become identified with what's going on. And in that identification, we lose this awareness of our true nature. So, so this is the beginning of the Yoga Sutra, and it's a great reminder that our spiritual practice is focused on bringing us back into this awareness of self with a capital S of our soul nature. Um, also, a quick word, a note on chitta. This chitta, what we call uh, the field of awareness, 
is said to be comprised of three major components. One is mind or manas. Uh, manas or mind is uh, the faculty that we have which takes information in from the world around us, the senses. So we have, um, we have these uh, senses that allow us to touch the world. So we have the sense of touch, taste, hearing, sight, um, and smell. And each of these is a way of interfacing with, of touching the world. So we touch the world with our eyes, our rods and cones, our receiving uh, electromagnetic frequencies, energy through photons, and then sending that information back to the back of the brain. And there it's decoded. Uh, and um, and a, a, a picture of what of the world around us is produced by the brain. So the brain is making up what we see. And uh, amazing, fascinating uh, fact is that because our system is uh, is so fine tuned and so survival oriented um, that what we actually perceive through our senses, the brain is kind of making up its idea of what's going to happen in 20 milliseconds. One fifth of a second from now is what the brain is feeding us as this present moment. We are always perceiving and experiencing the future, which is the best guess from our what our brain can create and feed to us. That's pretty interesting. So, so the senses are creating the sensation, making the world up and presenting us with an image, a picture of what's happening around us based on input. So this is part of manas, part of mind. Another part of manas is um, the responses, the reactions we have to this sensory input. Some things are good, some things not so good. Some things create awe and wonder and magic. And some things leave us fearful and dreading. And so these are all part of the mind. These are all part of manas. So the sensory input and the opinions about this, the way we process this, this is all manas. And we have another department, another aspect of chitta, which is discernment, buddhi, discernment, discrimination, wisdom. And this is a little bit of a separate department in the field of awareness and it can notice what's happening in manas and mind uh, what is being pulled up in memory how we're processing information and it can notice and see what's real and what's not real what's true what's not true and it can help us to make useful changes to notice where we are what we're doing and so we can bring this buddhi this intellect to play in the processing of information that comes through manas. And then the third component, the third uh, kind of department is ahamkara, which is literally translates as the eye maker. That is the sensation, the sense, the feeling that I am doing this, that I am having this experience, that I am the witness, that I am I, separate, from the wholeness of this universe. The, the reality, the truth is that the universe is having this adventure of a lifetime is expressing through us, through this vehicle. Uh, 
And as such, it is doing what it does automatically, almost magically, the, the trillions of processes that are happening in this body, they're happening by themselves, not because we make them happen. They're happening because it's their nature to happen. Uh, the environment around us is happening perfectly oriented from within, from this expressive consciousness. And so, so we are not in any way separate, but there is this illusion, just as there is an illusion of uh, the reality that is presented to us from the brain uh, through our optic nerve. Uh, in the same way, there is an illusion that this world is uh, in, has independent existence and that we have independent existence. This is ahamkara, I, ego, and it's illusory. So, and if you ever want to have an experiment, just an experience of just how uh, kind of interesting and crazy uh, this illusory nature is, you can just close one eye, like close your left eye, and leave your right eye open, hold your finger out at arm's length, and just gaze into gaze off into space, and then slowly move your finger across, and there's a point where your finger will disappear. And the reason it disappears is because in the fovea, in the little part of the, the back of the eye, where the optic nerve goes back to the brain, in that little part where the optic nerve is, it's about the size of a pencil, there are no rods and cones. There are no receptors. There is no way for any information to come in. So there's a blind spot there, about 15 degrees off of center, and there's nothing. But normally, we, we it's filled in. It's automatically compensated for, and the brain makes it up and, and serves us with this little piece of information that's missing. Not only that, but if you were to take <clears throat> and hold your hand out and look at your thumbnail, the thumbnail covers about uh, as much area as you have actual sharp focus. So your, your eyes are actually constantly vibrating, moving around, and your brain stitches all this together and creates an image, an impression of uh, detail around you, but your eye is only capable of actually receiving that detail in this little teeny small window, in this little pocket called the phobia. So, so these are a couple of things that are, are real, you know, this is what the scientists tell us, and they are demonstrations of this illusory nature of what we see and we take for granted and we take for real as and as permanent is really kind of, uh, you know, like watching a movie. It's really kind of an interesting little process. So, so it's good for us to be aware of these things and also to be reminded that we are not the mind and we are not the body and we are not the effect of the, the environment and the things that are going on around us. And we're not the effect of circumstances and events and what other people do. We are pure consciousness involved with having this adventure of a lifetime. And our, and our adventure of a lifetime uh, is, should be joyful. We should be healthy, happy, prosperous, fulfilled, content. Uh, and we should be looking for ways that we can serve and engage and uh, assist 
in this larger process that we are part of, in, inseparable from. So hopefully that makes some sense. Um, so thank you much for your attention and for participating and sharing with us. And be safe, you know, take care of yourself. And remember that if we're, um, if our objective is to be uh, taking care of ourselves at home, that home is here. And so we can uh, look to making sure that we're grounded in our own uh, self-awareness, our own self-consciousness, and allow that to lead us through these kind of wobbly days until we're restored once again to, uh, you know, some, some level of uh, health, safety, and sanity. So be well. Right. Know that you're blessed.